1: the Liberate Yourself podcast. I'm Trista Deadman, and this is a platform for benevolent souls to discuss their beautiful ideas around cultivating personal sovereignty in these changing times. My guest today is perfectly positioned to talk about this topic. Bill Kirst is a change management consultant who builds bridges between the practical working world and spiritual discovery. He is an informative and delightful guest, and I know you're going to find many valuable elements in our conversation. So let's get to it. Thank you Good so morning. much for being here with me. You're very welcome. Um, well, I wanted to have you on because, for one, we met and hit it off on many different topics very easily. You're a fascinating, expansive, chatty person, and you have lots of information to share. Um, but also, I find it really fascinating that you you deal with change in many different ways mm-hmm. um, in your career, which we'll talk about, and also you have a podcast that... Talks about change in this ever-changing world a lot like this one. Sure. Um, so I'm really interested to get your perspective from. Uh, I'm interested in, in getting another perspective on this, um, especially coming from you know the corporate world and, and a, a pragmatic application of um, of what change means. And we'll also get into a little bit more of like your spiritual journey and how that weaves into your your daily life. So, um, but if you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about where you are now in mm-hmm. terms of your life and your work and sure. how you, um, how you bring change to, to your life and to others' lives.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess in, in, in life, um, I'm, I'm a 40-year-old male, so I think it's kind of a fascinating time to be, uh, A, to be alive, but also to be, to be turning 40. Um, and, you know, I, I think we chatted a little bit before around this whole concept of the midlife crisis, and I've chatted with a number of people, including on my podcast, where a new term came to me as one of my guests talked about a quarter-life crisis. I think that guest was about 25 And initially I kind of thought, is that such a thing? And the more I've actually done quite a bit of research on um, even things like astrology, right? I realized that there is a lot of truth to something that is a quarter life crisis, a midlife crisis as we call it, and even beyond. Um, But what's interesting for me is I actually feel probably for the first time in my life that uh, I'm, I'm not anywhere near crisis. I actually feel more connected And uh, more in more in tune than I ever have. And so when I turned forty this year, it was really interesting because uh, I had a desire to actually turn forty in a relatively quiet way, uh, relatively solitudinal. Um, And initially, people kind of thought, "It's your fortieth, you know, over the hill. What do you want to do?" And and I and I had some you know, some interesting conversations with friends saying, I actually want to go be on a beach, you know, kind of by myself. Um, And they Mm -hmm. thought, oh, no, that's that sounds kind of sad. And I said, no, actually, it sounds kind of wonderful. And so um, I think I had a very different approach to to turning 40 because um, for the first time, I, I think probably. I am more than I'm listening to my mind. And that's mm. been a really interesting shift for me as someone who uh, has always strived to learn and achieve academically and um, in a career fashion and play mm. multiple roles.
1: And you're very and, mental. Like one of your strengths is mental acuity, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, I'm sort of very exact in in, in my desire to learn and, and shape things. And so that part for me, personally, has been really rewarding and giving myself permission to kind of listen to my body and not always let the mind take over and Mm -hmm. sort of take take the reins um, has actually generated some really positive outcomes uh, personally and professionally. So on, on the career side, it's been pretty fascinating because, as you mentioned, I get the opportunity and kind of the honor of getting to help people work through change. Um, in their daily lives, and so you know, my title is is organizational change management consultant, and that's kind of a lot of words for those that aren't as familiar with that space. You're a little bit of a coach, um, you're a little bit of a therapist. You're where where you are and how you're helping people navigate that change, and so I've I've been. Really enjoying it. I, I do it really well, and I'm finally starting to realize why I do it as well as I do is because um, I'm a highly sensitive person, and I'm I'm empathic, and mm-hmm. one of my number one skills is empathy. And as I navigated life and career and many roles, I think I always knew that deep down inside, but I didn't I didn't let my mind go there um, because you know terms like sensitive and Empathic are not necessarily attributed to strong males.
1: I was going to say, yeah, especially for men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as and a so, power.
0: As, as, absolutely, and I think, I think these past several years, I've actually started to realize, and embrace it. It feels like a superpower, mm-hmm. honestly, Trista. It feels like this is the opposite of weakness. It is mm-hmm. strength, and it is the ability to impact and change people's lives for the better um, by having these these abilities or these capabilities. And so that's kind of where I'm at personally and professionally is I, I'm, I'm finally listening to my body and it's generating some amazing reflection and some uh, incredible res- results for other people through a career lens um, on a day-to-day basis.
1: When you say your, your body, can you clarify a bit um, what you mean? Like, do you mean you're getting more into your heart um, using your body as an instrument of like attunement to feel things out. Can you talk about what that you sure. know looks like and feels like? Yeah.
0: So I think when I say that, I think it it is definitely kind of more heart center. Um, you know, I've been on a probably a multi year uh, cultivation, if you will, uh, through meditation and mindfulness, and I think that's been going on for about three or four years. And why I say cultivating is because you do, you have to kind of dig through the soil of all the things that you carry to allow yourself to open up. And so for me to move from kind of out of the head and the mind into the heart has been, um, has been a lot of work. And, and that's what I mean when I say I feel it in the body. I feel, I feel it a little more in the, um, you know, I've I've learned I've been learning these past couple of years about chakras and and um, the importance of of being grounded and kind of you know grounding in your chakras before you can kind of move up and um, you know like the solar plexus is such an interesting place because uh, in in sort of a, a masculine way I think a lot of a lot of men are sort of brought up to kind of project through the solar plexus um, mm-hmm. and oftentimes we don't make it past that. And so yeah. I think for me, I've I've been able to do this meditative and mindfulness work, do some centering of the chakras, understand the importance of grounding and being present in my body. And it, it's actually opened me up even more into what would be the heart chakra or dare I say the the throat chakra, which is all about finding your voice and using that voice for good.
1: Mm-hmm. And so how do you, What what would your... Your daily responsibilities in your in your career look like as far as so kind of explain what change management is and how your empathic abilities you know come into play.
0: Sure. you know, I, I would say um, there's no typical day when it comes to change, and I think sure. that's just because uh, there's a tremendous amount of change coming at people in every direction these days. Um, my 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 common, kind of day would, would involve usually about two to three clients um, over the course of the day. And those clients or customers uh, or partners could be, could be struggling or navigating any sort of change. Um, let's say, for example, that they, um, they had a, a, a new CEO come in or they bought another company and they were trying to merge those companies together. Or something as simple as, hey, we're switching out your laptop, right? Like mm-hmm. we think it's we think it's pretty simple when somebody says, hey, you're getting a new piece of technology. But one of the things I've learned is that, you know, pieces of technology that we've started to rely on as devices, and things like email and the way we communicate are actually very intimate
1: experiences. Yes. I can like personally attest to this. I just got a new laptop. And right. And I name them like yes, the one indeed. I had before is proletariat and he was the workhorse. And now right. I have Sophia and she's like going to be the divine, you know, messenger of knowledge and wisdom. And but yeah, the the transition is a very emotional one because yes. you're kind of like saying goodbye and it needs to be a transition. It's not like you're just, you know, getting rid of the old like there's memories there. It. it I mean, that goes into a whole a huge conversation that could be had about our relationship with technology. But right. yeah, yeah, I just so wanted to interject that. Yeah,
0: that's it's, it's perfect timing. Yeah, you're going through it yourself. And so it's really no different than what you're explaining, the experience you're going through. And, and one of the things I've done over the past probably five to ten years, I've been reading a lot about the way the brain works and neuroscience. And one of the things I've discovered is that there are these um, – there are these mirror receptors or, or mirroring neurons that you have in the brain um, that people who are highly sensitive or empathic actually have uh, mirror neurons that are more attuned or highly attuned. And what that means on a day-to-day basis is if I'm working with someone who's going through some sort of change, um, I I actually feel their emotions as if they are my own. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, when people go through What's interesting is when change happens, the same receptors in the body fire as if pain were happening.
1: Really? Yeah. Initially, That's why change is so hard sometimes. Right, yeah.
0: Right. The body doesn't really understand the, the you know, is this a tiger coming after you or is this just somebody coming to switch your laptop? <laughs> wow. The,
1: the, and the, the adrenaline and everything goes yeah. off as well. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: The same pain receptors fire, and then what usually happens is our brain then goes in and says, okay, look around, is, let me see, is this a tiger, or is this just a laptop switch? And then we start to sort of dial it back down. But the challenge, Trista, is this, those receptors have already fired, and it's mm-hmm. already triggered some of the adrenaline, and it's triggered the adrenal glands. And so that's why we then have to listen to our body and say, okay hold on a second, do I really need to go into fight-or-flight mode? Mm-hmm. How significant of a change is this? Um, but all that happens in milliseconds. Right. And to me, is the work I get to do with people because when I'm with them and I see the change happening, I experiencing, I am experiencing it alongside them, which means I can say to them, you're not alone. Yep. And, and to me, the work I do day in and day out, why it's so rewarding, why I love doing it is... I get to create a sense of belonging and connection and community in a pretty scattered world. Yes. Um, and and just being able to do that, sit with someone, and say to them, and and emulate to them that you're not alone, is is kind of the best part about it. So mm-hmm. on a on a day to day basis, it's it can be one on one, but I can also be doing it in front of you know, a room of 100 people standing on a stage talking about change and what's coming.
1: Mm. And
0: that can be a little bit more challenging as an empath because mm-hmm. imagine being in a room, you walk into that room, there's hundreds of people there, and it's not like I I don't hear the things that they're necessarily feeling or saying in their minds, but I definitely sense it. And I have to perform in a way where you know, what I say and what comes across is, I feel you, mm-hmm. and I'm here for you, and I, and we're going to get through this together. But it in rooms of 100 people or more, it can be pretty trying and a little bit debilitating.
1: Mm-hmm. I can imagine. And I mean, I've, I feel like, what kind of came to me, too, is that especially where we are in Seattle, which is like, you know, huge tech boom city, mm-hmm. especially right now and continues to grow. I feel like you're bringing um, this element of connection in that may otherwise be looked over. I don't know. I'm not, you know, part of the the tech corporate world, but um, I can feel that a lot of times when I'm moving through the city. It feels like people are really hungry for that kind of connection and to be seen. Um, would you agree with that? And does yeah. that happen in your work?
0: It absolutely does. Um, I would agree with the observation. Um, as you mentioned, we live in Seattle. I live on Capitol Hill. and But I also get to travel quite a bit in this mm-hmm. job, which is great. So moving you know, moving between spaces and moving to different places um, is, is a really eye-opening experience. Because when you go to a place like New York, and then you come back to a place like Seattle, or you go to a place like Texas, and you come back to a place like Seattle. Um, you do notice these small um, differences and one of the things i have felt here in seattle over the past i'd say you know four years or so um, it's a city that's changed quite a bit there's a lot of people moving here because it's absolutely gorgeous it's a great um, lifestyle Mm -hmm. it's very good work-life balance and there's tremendous opportunity it's a boom booming city as a result you have kind of this cacophony of different cultures happening. Yes. And while people came here for pursuit uh, of a job or um, a new beginning, uh, I think they they didn't stop and give themselves time to understand what a sense of belonging felt like. And mm, where yeah. do you find connection? And I will fault technology a little bit. I mean, technology. It can also put up barriers and walls and make people feel as if they're connected for that sort of instant dopamine hit but then you know can promulgate a pretty um lonely experience so i do see it a lot in a tech in a tech space i imagine it's probably even more challenging in places like silicon valley um or even places like austin where that's starting to emerge mm-hmm. uh, you know in cities like new york and washington dc they they're similar, but a little bit different because I feel like a they've been around longer. Yeah. Um, and I think there's communities within communities within communities. Yes. So even if you have that go between, you can step back into a sense of belonging in a in a borough or mm-hmm. you know in a neighborhood. And Seattle has that too. I just think the time we're we're experiencing right now with the growth and the opportunity, there's a little people. There's a a bit of people being lost in the in-between um and mm-hmm. like you said to be seen to be heard to have a sense of belonging there's nothing better there's nothing more powerful
1: mm-hmm. I know that is really powerful so how has let's switch gears a little bit sure. and if you want to talk about your spiritual journey yeah and like kind of when that began and some elements of that, what it feels like for you. And, and then eventually like how you weave that into the work that you do yeah, in the day to day, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I love the word spiritual. It keeps coming up quite a bit um, in, in places that don't, ex- that I don't necessarily expect. And uh, the reason I like it is because um, I actually was born and raised and, um, and grew up in an Irish Roman Catholic. And, I think it's important to say the Irish Roman Catholic and yes. people, hopefully people who will be listening and may, that may resonate, they'll understand what I mean by that. Um, but what I mean by that is it comes with tradition and it comes with a sense of tribe and family and um, and sort of the power of belonging, right? Um, and so I was raised in, in, in that way and in that fashion and I think there were a lot of spiritual elements around the traditions and the uh, religious ceremonies, but I always felt like I was lacking a little bit of, um, you know, that 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 true light within within some of that. Um, as I as I've grown up, and I as I mentioned, I'm now you know I'm now forty, um, and I've navigated the different challenges of growing up Irish Roman Catholic, but also you know, growing up, um, and navigating, coming out as, as a, as a gay man and all of the challenges that came with that serving in the military for 12 years and all the challenges that came with that. I think it's shaped me to understand that, um, spirituality is, uh, something that you cannot put inside four walls of a, Mm -hmm. of a cathedral, of a temple, you know, um,
1: it's a very it's personal experience.
0: Yeah. And it's something that honestly, it's, it's so enormous and so powerful, yet it can exist on a single grain of sand. And to me, that's where I find it in different places and different spaces. You and I talked about um, the power of place for me. You know, so when I, when I go to places like Ireland and I land on that soil, to me, a tremendous amount of spirituality comes through. I think that's because it's ancestral. Um, there's a connection there. But I also have a similar type of spirituality that comes when I when I'm in places like Rome, Italy, um, and it's not not necessarily because of the Vatican. It's probably more to do with the Roman history and uh, ancient Rome. Um, and so I f- I find myself called to places that that sort of um, release the the sense of spirituality to me. And, and I'm now finding it a little bit more in uh, things like astrology and astronomy. And you and I talked about astrocartography, cartography. And so, to me, it just, it leaves me more and more hungry to learn.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's an aspect of life that, uh, that excites me is spirituality doesn't have, keeps going. And um, it's about discovery. It's about uh, reflection and it's about learning and to me I feel like this whole journey is just beginning even though I'm 40 years into this life and I've got a lot of tradition and um, and sort of rigor behind me I feel like I'm just tapping into it now um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And then I think the second party question how does that work into my into my day-to-day and my work um, I think it allows me to come with a little more grace in everything I do um, I seek to see the, the the spiritual potential in everything I do and every person I work with. And again, that doesn't mean they have to be religious. It doesn't mean they have to have um, any sort of way in which they, you know, put things in, into a box or a dogma at all. Um, it's just helping find the light in someone that they may not necessarily know they have. Um, and that's why that's why I do do this work, and that's why I'm continuing to do this work because. You know we all we all kind of have this, what's my purpose? Why am I here?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the closest I've been able to put words to that for me is um, my purpose is to help others find their true potential, um, whether they knew it or not, it's there, that light is there. And so I think spirituality in many ways I'm learning um, are just increasing the the number of you know gates to that to that destination.
1: mm-hmm what are some um some modalities that you've come across one actually one thing i wanted to back up and mm-hmm. just mention um it is interesting when you start on the spiritual path because i think that it is it's sort of the antithesis to what we have been told in a very like linear leaning yeah. society because you realize well from my experience anyway i think when you follow certain traditions You pick up on the fact that everything is cycles Yes. and so there isn't a beginning and an end there is no end point to get to that you're working towards like you said like you you know you were really rigorous Mm -hmm. academically and and learning and i think a lot of times we're taught that that learning is to get you know the carrot at the end of the stick or whatever there's going to be something light at the end of the tunnel but spiritual learning and practice and experience is yeah, ongoing probably, you know, probably throughout lifetimes, depending Mm -hmm. on the paradigm you believe in. But, um, yeah, there, there's something really beautiful. I think that, that is something that keeps coming back to me is that absolutely everything is a cycle, you know, yeah it never ends like that, that real circle kind of, kind of energy. Um, so, yeah, yeah you'll, you'll always be learning.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think there's aspects of, um, again, in doing this work and, and, and approaching it, like you said, as, as, a, as a cycle. And um, just when you think you're done, you're not. You're actually, wow, what have I uncovered? What have I cultivated in this, in this circle, in this, in this mm-hmm. go-round? Um, and similarly, I think I start to see a lot of patterns in things, which to me is very validating. Um, mm-hmm. it goes back to, yes, there's rigor in the academic study and yes, there's rigor in the way we learn, um, because to me, those are the, those are sort of the building blocks to allow you to see patterns, um, mm-hmm. in things that otherwise people do not. And, and I'll give you an example of that, which will probably feed into the modalities question, mm-hmm. learning, learning languages.
1: Oh right? yeah. So, you speak how many languages?
0: I've had the opportunity to learn six languages and I'm working on my seventh right now. Um, so I think it's, you know, language to me is a modality. Um, and it's, I mean, you know, if you simplify it, what better way to, um, express spirituality than, than, than through language and spoken word and being able to communicate, uh, in a way that connects you to another soul connects you to another person. And so, you know, my, my journey through languages has been interesting because uh, I got to grow up around the world and live in a lot of different places. It's like more for, for survival, right? Which is mm-hmm. like, you've got to learn the language in order to make your way. And then slowly, I started to realize that this is not so much about my survival as it is about Helping someone else feel belonging, feel a sense of connection and belonging. And so, if you know people listening to this will probably understand, if you've taken the time to learn a language and you go to a go to a country where that language is spoken, and even if you fumble through those those words um, to try and get your first sentence across, most of the time the person on the other side of that is elated, and yes. you see in their eyes, yeah, you see this joy um, because what you're doing is in, in in one way you're you're kind of connecting with them in, in in a way they didn't expect and it's such a it's a gift. It's a it's a beautiful gift to say, I took time to learn your language so that yes. I could connect with you.
1: I've definitely Uh, had that experience. Yeah. And it makes a huge difference, especially, um, I learned French. And so mm -hmm. I realized the reason that the French have this, you know, bad rap especially with Americans is because Americans will go over and just expect it to be Disneyland and like, just be mad because they're not speaking English or whatever and expect them to. And yeah, just, you're right. Like just with my little fumbling and, and, uh, probably preschool level grammar, made a huge difference. Like we had, you know, we're treated so much better and welcomed in because it is, it's like an offering, you know? Yeah. I took the time.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful gift, um, to say to someone, I took the time to try and, you know, navigate this world a little closer to the way you see it. And that is just a beautiful thing. So for me, languages have been a, a big modality, um, to get me closer to, you know, the experience that people are going through, and that's the empath side of me, right? I realized that if, if I have this highly sensitive you know, person capability, I could, sit, I could sit here and I could try and deny it and fight it and, and really struggle with it and, and kind of be in pain, or I could lean into it and say, look, if you're kind of feeling what other people are feeling and you might have a sense of what they're thinking, why not try, try and get closer to it? And, and language has allowed me to do that. And it's been a beautiful thing, and I think that's why I continue to do it. Working on my seventh, and I imagine there might be an eighth. But that's that's one modality. I think the other the other thing it's very similar, right? Which is um, things like astrology. Um, mm-hmm. I shared with you when we first met that I had I had just read um, uh, the McCarthy book around um, you know Juliana the, McCarthy. Juliana McCarthy, yeah, mm-hmm. um, the Stars Within You. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, a primer for me around astrology, and I think I had listened to a series of podcasts, maybe, and I, I just got more and more interested in like, okay, if I were to do you know my natal chart and understand what this is, um, I, I again, right, the rigorous academic in me is like, well, I have to know all of the, yeah, <laughs> I have to know the grammar, I have yeah. to be able to to see how see how this works, and so I read that. Um, and and I just got more and more interested, and I realized that things like astrology and tarot and um, numerology and other—they're—they're—they're they're, they're additional languages. Um, they're
1: archetypal languages. Yeah, is um, which makes them a little bit more. Oh, how would I say it? Um, beyond words. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what you know. We discussed when I when we were. You know, doing a reading, I I, was—I found it really refreshing and helpful that you do understand how language works, because that is how a lot of times, how to string together all of the different aspects and elements of a natal chart is—you are, you're learning a language. You know, there's, there's different, there's a grammar to it, and you kind of put it together in your own way, and I feel even. It, there isn't like one set. What's really nice about it is that it is um, archetypal and it gives lic- It gives one license to sort of develop the language and the way of speaking about it in their own way. And so it's very poetic too. It can be very yeah. poetic. It can be very more prose and fluid. Like, you know, it's not, no one's going to come along and say, no, this, I mean, it to a certain extent, but like, to a certain extent, you just you have creative license to sort of string it together in your own way and interpret it in your own way. So really, astrologers are are we're essentially interpreters right. of of this archetypal language, and tarot as well. Tarot readers do the same thing, and and it is very um, it's an empathic and intuitive gift as well because you're connecting with a person mm-hmm. for the most part when you're doing readings and commu- finding a way you know, cause no reading is the same. You're not going to be, you're not going to read the same for every person. It's right. again, very, um, open to interpretation with how you connect with someone and are able to communicate and interpret for them, which makes it just a really beautiful, it's, it is, it's a beautiful language and really ongoing. Like you never know everything. (laughs) Right. And I think, I
0: think the, the, I really appreciate you saying the poetic part of it, because if I think back to, you know, some of the stuff that I turn to, to regenerate and restore is a lot of, a lot of writing and a lot of poetry and a lot of journaling. Um, you know, one of the, one of the languages I had the opportunity to learn was, was Russian growing up. And, um, there are there are a few uh, happier things to me than being able to really dive into like a Russian poem, wow. uh, yeah. And there's there's a lot of intense emotions from Russian poets and Russian literature, and that's because they went through some intense experiences.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you can take, you can take those feelings and emotions and physical manifestations and put it into a word that resonates and. Um, is almost the personification of that feeling. It's a very powerful thing. So, so I appreciate you saying the poetic part of of you know tarot and and, and even astrology because um, that's how it feels to me. It feels very um, poetic, and um, that's why I lean. I'm leaning into learning a little bit more about it um, as as additional you know as an additional language. I think the other part which is really fascinating to me around the natal chart is. You know the work that I've done. You know modalities. I guess meditation and mindfulness might be a modality. Um, I've started to realize that you know, everybody's everybody has sort of an energy imprint and and a frequency about them. Some people call it aura. Um, but the work that I've done around meditation and mindfulness, I think, has just uh, finely tuned my energy imprint or my frequency. And when I started to read into the natal chart it just made sense to me. I thought, well, of course, like there's this earth, right? And we're all kind of made up of mostly water. And if you think about how energy works and transfers, like we're all just like these little beings of energy walking around this earth. And then a new person is born into the world and that energy shifts because you have another, it's like adding another molecule to Mm -hmm. the mix. And I thought to myself, what perfect, it makes perfect sense to me. Like you're born into this world you know the the planets are where the planets are. you're where you're at, and mm-hmm. you you basically added another element of energy to the mix that we have on this planet. Um, and so I wanted to know more about that. And mm-hmm. um, I also think there was aspects of my beginnings, you know, being born in a place that was going through a lot of disruption at the time. Um, I was actually born in Tehran um, in nineteen seventy eight, which was wow a pretty tumultuous time, um, mm-hmm. pretty disruptive beginning. There was a revolution happening there. We had to flee. So, selfishly, I've also had this sense of like, you know, I- I've never been back to where I was born, right? I've never hmm. I've never stepped foot in the place where I began life, um, mm-hmm. you know, first had that. That's part of why I'm fascinated by some of this.
1: Yeah, it, just curious. Is your lineage Iranian, or were you, or was your family just there? We uh,
0: we were just there. So we're, we're oh, um, yeah we're uh, we were Americans there. My my okay. father was working there um, as a businessman, and so in the in the mid to late 70s, um, there were quite a bit of Americans there. Um, some were with obviously oil companies. Some were with accounting companies. My father was an accountant there. And so we were there as as part of a job assignment for a couple years. And, and you know, people can see in the history books that uh, things didn't go so well in 1978. Yeah. And we, we fled. And um, I think what's interesting as well is we went back to Rome. We had been in Rome before that. And I think another reason I have such a draw to Rome when I land there is because I think if, if you think about a baby or uh, an infant, you know, and you don't necessarily... Know what's going on, but you feel all the stuff going on around you. If I enter the world and I'm in a very disruptive place where there's a revolution happening and people are worried about their safety and they're trying to take care of their children and they're, they're getting on a plane and they're fleeing, and, and the first time that they have to actually take a breath and be like, we're okay, is in Rome. And so I think the part of the connection I have with Rome is because that's when all the people that were around me and and were taking care of me and loving me that's probably the first time their frequency and their energy got down to a level of like we're okay relief yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so part of me probably had a little bit of an imprint on rome and rome mm. on me um you know just thinking about the order of events there um and so it's been it's been fascinating that's what i really uh, kind of enjoy about again this 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 new language of um, astrology and as you mentioned astrocartography would be probably fascinating to lean into as well
1: mm-hmm. um, how far away do you think we are from because I'm sure this would be really helpful in your work mm-hmm. how far away do you think we are from incorporating because we do MBTI in mm-hmm. yep. in the corporate world and working world how far away do you think we are from incorporating someone's natal chart into you know their, uh, uh, like the, the approach to, right. um, helping them in the, in the working environment? You know, it's
0: a great question. Um, and one that I'm probably going to think about mm-hmm. for the next five days. It's pretty fascinating. Um, I, I would take a guess that depending on the industry and depending on the work, Uh, We may be a generation or two away from that, and what I what I mean by that, and when I say generation, I don't mean like you know seventy to ninety years. I think what I mean by generation is. um,
1: So in astrology, I'll just interject. In astrology, um, the generational uh, marker is usually Pluto. So there's um, the so you're of the you and I are of the Pluto and Libra generation. Mm -hmm. The Pluto and Scorpio generation is essential, and it's like. Oh gosh, I should know this off the top of my head. I want to say 12 to 14 years. Okay. Um, yeah. so Pluto and Scorpio is essentially the millennials. And then what we have now, people in their early 20s, mm-hmm. I want to say, late teens, early 20s, are the Pluto and Sag- Sagittarius generation. Okay. So I feel like maybe they, and they are like super interested in astrology yeah. and it's like no big deal to them. I feel like you're right. It's yeah. going to be when their generation is in the workforce.
0: Yeah, so I think you're you're, you know, you bring up the MBTI and I talked about Strength Finders with you when we first met and these are all different ways of getting at understanding kind of who we are and how we operate. And Strength Finders was a great a great one for me because I took the test 10 plus years ago and my number one strength was empathy at the time. Wow. And I took it again recently and it's still empathy. But what's interesting is the other the other strengths have changed, but empathy has not moved off the top of that rock, which told me like you, this is this is to your point this is powerful and and lean into that um i think if you know we talk about the 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 two generations from now um those that are coming into the they're they're hungry they're curious they are not satisfied with the the ways in which we've traditionally measured performance or motivation or mm-hmm. inspiration like it those 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 mechanisms don't work for them anymore so i think within two generations or two shifts of that, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody walked into a job and said, hey, I'm gonna do MBTI, I'm gonna do strength finders, I'm gonna do the ENFJ or you know all that other stuff, yeah. and here's my astral, or here's my natal chart. Yeah. Um, the question doesn't become so much about the employee doing that, the question becomes about who they're walking it into. Yeah. So I think the challenge, which would be pretty fascinating, even this discussion's a great example of it, right? The education of the possibilities and the empowerment. Um, you know, I shared with my team not too long ago. I brought in the book. I brought in the McCarthy book.
1: That's I had, wonderful. <laughs> I
0: had it on my desk so that people could see it. And um, you know, in some aspects, you have to live out loud. Um, yes. Right. Like you know, I, I in, in in the years past, right, I had to live a very closeted life in, in, in many aspects of my life. I don't want to do that again. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm very proud of the, the fact that I'm curious and I'm learning and I'm pulling on every uh, tool that I can to be a better person and to help others. So I had the book out on the desk. I wanted people to ask questions about it and they did. Ugh. And some of them were a little bit like, really, Bill? And others <laughs> were like, that's amazing. Tell me more. Wow. And so it was a conversation starter and I'm excited for p- when people those people are more comfortable to get to the to the point where they say, "You know, Bill, I would like to just I'd curious to to hear what you learned. Mm-hmm. And again, i'm not I'm not out there, you know, proselytizing. I'm not out there telling people, "Hey, you have to, but I'm making myself available I
1: think the pathway is the the real step. It's because it's not a religion. It's not going out there and trying to convert anybody or tell them. But I think that remaining open and you're right, like sharing, um, sharing that that is an, you know, an aspect of what you're about Mm -hmm. is really important. Just putting that out in the open.
0: Yeah, I think the other part that I've been pretty fascinated by is there's a couple of podcasts that I listen to. There's an Israeli podcast. He's an ex-military officer, Israeli um, astrologer. I think he lives in L.A. And he's done some pretty fascinating stuff where he's gone back and looked at the natal charts of significant figures in history.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, there's some debate around whether that we could have predicted what people would do. But I think there's more to that than people realize. So oh, yeah. It's those tendencies. It's when you go through the shifts. It's how people... You know, react. I think if somebody had said to me, Hey, before you turn 40, you're gonna you're actually gonna be pretty um empowered by um by reflection and taking time for yourself and restoring, and I, I probably would have told them years ago, No way. Um, whereas now it all makes sense, so there's aspects mm-hmm. here that um, you know, nothing's ever a a capital T truth, right? Um, right, but there is. There's something that helps us understand um, what is more true to us. And so that's why I think it's fascinating. It will be it'll be great to watch. So I'm doing I'm trying Mm -hmm. to do my part of that, like yeah, break the book in and have people ask questions.
1: Yeah. Well it's a it's um a really efficient way to help relate to each other. And that's what I was thinking, is like from an employer standpoint, it's just efficiency. Like Why would you try to, and that's what the the old model is that I rebelled against. Most of my life was that um, the old model was like, get everyone to fit into the same kind yeah. of you know box and way of working because it was, I mean, it's a holdover from the industrial revolution, right? right. Or the industrial era. Like we were essentially trained to be factory workers or work in that kind of uh, um, assembly line output kind you know, right in the midst of changing. And, um, yeah, it's, I love MBTI as well. Um, I think that, you know, bringing, and that's the thing, like going back to, you know, it's not proselytizing or anything, neither was psychology, psychology, yeah. Is and modern astrology is essentially modern. It's called modern psychological astrology because depth yep. psychology and Jungian astrology were kind of brought in to understand us on a, ourselves and others on a psychological level. Right. So it's not that big of a leap, you know. Especially like we said for this this current generation. Right. It's not like it's this far out there. Oh, that's spiritual woo woo. Mm-hmm. It just is. Like the right. evidence, if you look hard enough, or if you look. It's there. The evidence is there that it it's a a map or a way of. It's it's like configuration. It's a configuration for timing and 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 how people work. So why wouldn't you bring that in as well? That's I don't know. I don't think, think it'll be that long. I
0: don't think so either. And I think it'll be fascinating to, you know, if somebody needed to be, you know, understand the potential, I would probably say to them wouldn't you want to save yourself on all those messy misfires and misstarts? And hey, I thought you were, I thought you wanted this and you didn't want, to me, it's another, it's another tool at the table to, to really understand kind of what drives people or what, you know, what motivates them. Or, you know, when we think about like, you know, where your sun sign is and your moon sign, right? Like that's the whole aspect of like, how you emote versus how you kind of show up in the world. And I think for me that was really powerful to know that, you know, I'm not necessarily retreating. I'm actually discovering that in order for me to recharge and process and go through some emotions, I actually have to do it in more of a um, what might appear isolated way, but it's not. It's much more about, um, you know, the power of solitude. Um, and being restored in quiet, as opposed to performing in you know, um, mm-hmm. in rambunctious uh, loud spaces. And so, mm-hmm. whereas before, it, I think it, people were very confused because they're like, you know, Bill, you you're an extrovert, and I'm like, right, I perform as an extrovert. But even the discussions in a workplace of understanding how do you embrace your introverts, um, and mm-hmm. you know, what what we see eight to five is not necessarily who we are deep inside. And so that aspect to me, um, it's just given me another sort of, um, another layer to understand myself.
1: Yeah. And especially, um, discovering that you're, you know, what's being called a highly sensitive person, that's a huge revelation as well. Um, so yeah, how, how has that experience been? Like, when did you first hear that term? Um, when did you, you know, start noticing the, um, this, I don't want to say side effects, but the, sure. yeah. you know, the elements of that show up in your life. And also how are you dealing with it? Cause I feel like you've taken on a really good regimen of self-care mm-hmm. with yep. multiple modalities that would, you know, it, that would be nice if you would share that with others. Cause there's a lot out there. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, um, I'm hoping that this small voice will be heard by many, um, and to say that when, when I kind of discovered this aspect of me, it was it was actually when I moved here to Seattle, so about four or four and a half years ago. Um, and again, I think when people move between places, know that you're kind of going through like you're, you're kind of moving through different um, energy sets fields. of energy, yeah energy fields. And you know, I was moving from Washington, DC to Seattle, so very different. Um, but here in Seattle, I started to realize that you know I was just kind of picking up on very different energies. And there would be times, a very uh, a quick story that I shared with you um, was I was up in the Space Needle um, with my brother, Brian, who lives here in Seattle. And it was my first time in the Space Needle, and it was supposed to be this great afternoon. And I just couldn't, like, I couldn't catch my breath. I was, like, felt weighed down, and I was like, what is going on? And um, and it was afterwards that I realized, you know, um, I was kind of picking up on everybody else's stuff um, in, that, in that very condensed small space. And... It was It was almost um, like a flip of a switch. My brother was kind of like, what happened? Like you went from totally fine to like, wow, I, you, you, you look you, you look dazed, you look tired. And, um, and I started to realize that I was much more kind of in tune with picking up on on kind of what other people are feeling. And then I, I started to listen to that and kind of say, what might that be. Um, airports are always a little tough for me, right? So going through airports, if you think about it, People in airports, um, they're waiting to get to another destination. But on the other side of that destination is is a hope, is a, a family member they love, is a job interview they're going for. Right? There's a lot of hopes and fears and anxiety that's kind of just packaged into this little also, space. Also,
1: yeah. Also, it's like change on overdrive everywhere. Correct. Yeah. Everyone's it to is. Yeah. You go into like this survival mode. It's always like, okay, you know, get the resources and the tools, and okay, go to this right. place and. Make sure everyone's safe. (laughs) Right.
0: Um, And so that's where I started to realize as a consultant who's traveling on the road quite a bit, I was like, oh, wow, like these are little laboratories. These are like living classrooms for an empath to like walk through and figure out, okay, like how do you how do you spend your time in an airport so that when you're in that aluminum tube for five hours flying across the country, you're not you're not bogged down. You're not exhausted. You're not Trapped, um, and so I started reading about, um, you know, sort of empaths and what typically happens, and some of the signs and, and and feelings and symptoms, if you will, that we experience. And I had a conversation with a colleague who also is very uh, empathic, and um, she said, "Oh yeah, like there's a lot of resources that you can look at, look at for this." Um, and so I, I just started tuning in a little bit and realizing that, you know, concerts. Uh I love music. Music is very, very important to me. I feel like, you know, the the single strike of a chord on a guitar or a piano or somebody's voice can go straight to my rib cage and make me feel amazing. And I love live music, but I started to realize that in some of those venues, I couldn't actually be there to enjoy the music because I was. Everybody else, I was kind of carrying everybody else's stuff. So I, I started to say to myself, look, you've got to make some choices. You've got to have some sacred yeses and some sacred nos in terms of, you know, if you're going to go, th- if you're going to be in airports all week and in um, planes, maybe that's going to drain you to a certain point that you can't go to that concert on Friday night or you can't go out to that bar. And it's okay. It's okay to say to yourself, I need to restore, I'm depleted. Um, it doesn't make me weak. It doesn't make me less than, but I need to start to understand that. And then, and then frankly have conversations about that with my friends and family. So they understand, because again, it goes back to belonging. If somebody were to say, Hey Bill, I want you to feel like you belong. And I'd say to them, absolutely. But then you say to them physically, when you're in that space or in that place, you feel anything, but belonging, you actually feel overwhelmed and and scattered. They would say, as a friend and someone that cares about you, "What can I do? What can I do to help you?" So for me, um, things like going on these um, what I call "silent Saturdays," where I spend 24 hours not speaking, is really, really helpful for me to sort of clear out the the stuff that I think are my thoughts, but maybe not my thoughts. They're thoughts I picked up along the way. Yeah. Um, sensory deprivation, salt water floats, um, yep. or sometimes people use the the. The acronym REST, R E S T, I forget what it stands for, but that's another way it's described. Those are tremendously helpful for me because it's about clearing that, you know, clearing that energy. It's almost like saging yourself. Um,
1: yeah, and the just the salt water in general is super cleansing.
0: Yes, I swim. Energetically. Yeah, I swim maybe a couple times a week, three times a week if I can. So moving through water is really good for me. Um, being near water is really good for me. Just be able to look over the expanse um, and understand that even though it feels like you're carrying all this, you know, you're still pretty insignificant against the expanse of, of that body of water or the universe or the horizon. And so, I'm reminded of the delicacy of things. And then I come back to a place where I realize this is a gift, and it is um, it's truly an honor to be able to carry some of those things from other people and and. Unburden them,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and they don't know what's happening. And sometimes I do know what's happening, and other times I don't. But it all goes back to can I help someone, you know, get closer to their true potential? And sometimes that means taking off of their their shoulders a little bit of, of burden, um, whether walking by them or having a conversation with them or standing up in front of a, a group of a hundred people and telling them, you know, this is what change feel like, feels like, and you're going to be okay. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love everything I've heard today. Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: (laughs) What's on the horizon for you as far as, you know, work and life and expanding? Have you had any, we just had a new moon in Aquarius where we all made kind of these fresh new starts and intentions. Did you want to share anything you have coming up?
0: Yeah. So I actually have a spouse who, um, Is in the Peace Corps at the moment, Um, and he's been serving overseas for over two years. And he will be coming home in the next few months, so I am really, really excited to uh, have him home. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be such a wonderful new new the the pleasure of visiting him four times since he's been over there, and um, and spending that time together and making those memories. But I think. You know, my my intentions this year have really been about um, welcoming him back to our home here in Seattle. And um, we both grew as individuals and grew together in this process. And in the, you know, in the in the absence um, while he was uh, while he was pursuing a dream and me getting uh, to support that dream has been pretty powerful. So I think that's one of the things I'm really excited about. Um, I'm doing a tremendous amount of writing. So mm-hmm. as a vision, I do a lot of journaling and writing poetry. Um, for the past couple of years I've been um, writing my first novel. obviously it's hard to do when you have a full-time job but um, that's coming back that's coming back uh, in a steady way so I'm doing that writing And then I think lastly it's um, it's stuff like this it's giving back um, you know you and I both talked a little bit around how we've benefited from people sharing stories and podcasts and you know, on those days when it's really gray and really dreary mm-hmm. here in Seattle, nothing better than putting on a podcast and going for a long walk and putting the hoodie up. Yep. Um, <laughs> those have been so restorative to me. And I believe in, like, you've you got to put it back out in the universe. And you've got you've to say thank you to all of those creators um, in, in a way by creating yourself. And whether it's through a, a novel or through a podcast or through an interview, share your story Bring that book in about astrology and have people ask questions about it. Um, go to a, go to a seminar and 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 hang you know hang back afterwards and talk to the author. Um, to me, it's about that that creation and that give back. Um, and I, I think it circles back to our first you know, our first point around the power of belonging and connection and community. And if I can if I can focus on those those three things, um, I, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs>
1: That's wonderful. I love everything you just said. Well, how can people connect with you, listen to your podcast? Do you want to share that? Yeah.
0: So my podcast is called Coffee and Change. um, And uh, the concept basically came about that when you're doing what we're doing, talking about change, um, sometimes it's just better to sit down with someone over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea um, and and really just talk about change. It's a little more approachable. So that's how it came about. Um, I think I've got about 13 or 14 episodes out there. It can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, um, SoundCloud as well. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. Um, So uh, if you just look up Bill Kirst, um, you'll be able to find me there. I do quite a bit of stuff on Twitter. It's a little bit of business and a little bit of personal. On Instagram, I um, do probably a little more kind of um, reflective stuff, you know, great expansive horizons, pictures of mountains, that. That's where i can be found and happy to connect with people um i'm hoping i'm hoping the sharing and the story if heard by one person that says yeah this is this is uh this is helpful or even if they have questions you know they can reach out to you and you can connect them to me so thank you for the opportunity
1: thank you so much for the connection and the amazing expansive conversation
0: <laughs> you bet
1: I hope you enjoyed this discussion around change in an ever-changing world. To dive more into this topic and Bill's work, give his podcast Coffee and Change a listen and visit him online on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. All the links can be found in the show notes to this episode at TristaDedman.com. And while you're there, consider signing up for the email list so you get every transmission of the Liberate Yourself podcast straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening, and as always, take care out there.